Our scripture reading for this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That's found on page 528 in your pew Bible. 528 in the pew Bible. Hear God's word. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand, come. Well, welcome this morning. Um, you can be as loud as you want. I, um, first of all, I appreciate, Bill, I appreciate the relationship. I uh, appreciate some of the folks I know. I see Jose out there, I see John out there, uh, just some folks who I'm able to connect with and uh, makes me, make me feel at home. Uh, we want to dive into a scripture. We want to look at, look at one verse from various angles, uh, one passage from various angles, the, the passage that was read to you earlier, uh, because it resonated with me in some very different ways. I mean, it's, it's a familiar passage that we've read for a long time, but I kind of want to challenge you with some of the thinking that I've gone through with reference to trusting God. So uh, I'm going to uh, start off with uh, prayer, just a brief prayer, getting me grounded, and then we'll jump right into it. So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness, your blessings, for, for your guidance. We recognize, Lord, that you call us together not for a waste of time, but as an investment into learning and growing uh, so that we can be more effective as we leave. This is our huddle before we impact the game. And so, Father, we ask that you would let not the speaker stand in the way. Uh, give me perfect health, logical progression of thought, insight into the word, and the ability to present in a way that will offer information that your Holy Spirit can use to penetrate the hearts of those who are here listening. And then, Father, let us walk away giving you glory, not in what we heard only, but what we do as a result of what we heard. And, uh, and we just ask you to be praised in Christ's name. Amen. One of the early scriptures that I understood, the verses that I can remember, was the verse uh, that says that the just shall live by faith. We used to have to sit around the table, and my, my mom used to make us offer a scripture memory. And so you would try to get the most memorable and easiest scripture while you were there, and, and some folks would grab Jesus' wealth. You know, that was one of the first ones that would go, and then... Uh, and then, uh, blessed are appear in heart, for they shall see God. For some reason, that was easier. But then, this other one, the just shall live by faith, became something that kind of rained heavy in my mind as I was beginning to change my life and figure out how do I live for God every single day? How do I, how do I trust Him in every single day? And so, I understood what faith is. I mean, it's a good thing. Faith is the, is the size of a grain of a mustard seed that you can utilize to be able to make major changes in your life. So, faith was a good thing. Faith had no requirements. I could come as I am and have faith in God and it will work. I don't have to go to school to have faith. I don't have to, I don't have to do all those things to prep myself. But I begin to understand that living for God every day requires more than faith. And while faith is easy, the thing that I found that was a lot more difficult is trust. And so when God said to me, I want you to have faith, then faith you can use one time in a particular situation and then you have to trust after that. Let me explain, because I can see the looks on your face. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So therefore, when I go into something with faith, that means I don't have enough knowledge to make my own decision. I don't have enough information. Like all I knew was I didn't want to go to hell. So therefore, I believed God could get me out. I didn't understand the, the dynamics of the sacrifice of Christ. I didn't understand the relationship of somebody dying on the cross and me going to heaven and any of that stuff. I just believed the death, burial, and resurrection. That's all I needed. I didn't need to be smart to be able to let faith work. Also, the dynamics of faith, when I say it only happens once, once you have evidence, then it's no longer faith. Let me give you an example. When God went to Abraham and said, okay, get your stuff, I want you to leave, and I want you to, to go out into the wilderness where all the wild animals are, and uh, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, and then he said, well, where are we going? I ain't telling you where we're going. Well, what are we going to do when we get there? I ain't telling you what we're going to do when we get there. I ain't telling you nothing. I'm just saying, have faith in me. So he didn't believe it could be done. He didn't, he didn't understand whether it could be done or how it could be done, and he just didn't need to. He just believed and went. The second time God told him to go, he had some opinions, some perspectives, some thoughts, some evidence. And so now he has questions for God. Well, you delivered me from the snake, snake last time, but how are you going to deliver me from snakes this time? At first, he didn't even know the snake was out there. So whenever we have faith, it is, it is based on our inability to make a decision ourselves and our willingness to trust God in spite of what we do not know. When there is trust, it's a little different. So he hits us with this trust thing. So I want to kind of give you a general thesis uh, for my argument and then see if we can flow through this together. And maybe the looks on your faces will give me insight that I couldn't gather on my own. Our thesis or ideal thinking is this. Trusting God with all of your heart is a process through which you experience three things. Peace through difficult times. That means that if I trust God, I should experience peace when things get rough. If I don't trust God, then I won't experience peace. That's if I don't trust him with all my heart. So, that, you know, we used to drive to Arkansas every year, and when I turned 16, I was given permission to be one of the drivers. And so I would drive, and I loved to drive, and, and most boys my age of 16 at that point loved to drive. So the family would be going, and we'd be driving down there. And then at that time, you had to go through the Ozarks to get there. So if some of you are old enough to remember when that Highway 40 wasn't there, then you had to drive around the Ozark Mountains, and it was that little edge, that ledge that you had to drive on all the way up there. And all while we were driving, my siblings would be saying, Mama, you drive. Mama, you, why are you letting him drive? We're going to die. I mean, they were saying all this stuff in the car and everything. And so my mama would eventually say, okay, pull over. So I'd pull over at the next stop, and then my mama would get behind the car. And then when my mama started driving, same dilemma, same edge that we were driving on, same scary situation, but the kids now gone back to playing tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe and all this kind of stuff in the background. Nobody's complaining. Why? Because they have peace in this moment of dilemma because they trust mama more than they trust me. Y'all with me? Now, the question is, what gives you peace in the, tra in the time of, the, uh, of, of tragedy? Does money? Does friends? 
I mean, what gives you peace? Can you have God and none of those other things and still be at peace? Then maybe you're not really trusting God. Next thing is you will experience God's presence in all situations. One of the scariest things to me was to discover that God was omnipresent. Because I thought God was just at church. So if I didn't cuss at church, I was good. If I didn't talk about people at church, I was good. But when I found out he was omnipresent, that means all the time. That means he could see what I look at on my phone, listen to who I talk to, and even what I'm thinking when I'm having conversations with other people. So at that particular point, do I really know he's there all the time? Because I got to trust him if I know he's fully exposed to everything that I do. The next thing is you will experience wisdom to live a biblical life in an unbiblical culture. You will know what to do in a world of sin. All those things happen because you trust God. Now remember, trust, trusting God is a progressive experience and not an all-at-once experience. So what I want to do is I want to talk about, and your heart is the primary tool that you use to trust God. Faith doesn't have a primary tool. Trusting God requires a heart. So that's why it starts off with saying, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So here's the first thing I want to kind of lay out as a point of discussion, and that is this. The condition of your heart determines, the condition of my heart determines the, the degree to which I trust God. So the whole mustard seed thing don't work with trust. I can trust God a little, or I can trust him a lot. So you can't say trust the size of a mustard seed uh, uh, accomplishes a lot. That, that didn't work. Trusting God requires that I can utilize my heart to its fullest to be able to uh, experience this reality with God. The issue is, what condition is my heart in when I try to trust God? Because the if that's my primary tool, then the condition of that, you know what I do with my tools at home? I had them from my wife now. Not just my wife, but my wife now, all of them. Because they will borrow my tool and not put it back in the condition it was in. So when I get ready to use it, it's all messed up from being misused. Is that with me? Every now and then I, I get in and I drive my wife's car. The reason why I drive my wife's car is because I drive differently from her. She says she drives better. But I drive differently. But here's the deal. I know that when she's driving, she ain't checking the oil. She don't care about the lights to come on. She, the grandkids are radically free as they get into the car. Uh, she'll hit a pothole and complain that the pothole shouldn't have been there. When I'm dodging potholes as we drive down the street, all this stuff will take place. And I know that the condition of the car at the time when it's really needed is only going to be ready if there's regular maintenance. And so the same thing with your heart. Now, here's the thing. Once I begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I got my heart. I got my heart. My heart is ready. Then he hit me with Jeremiah 17, 9. And here's what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things. What? The tool that I trust you with can fool me. It's deceitful. And here's the reason why it's deceitful is because it's an autonomic response to triggers. That means if I, get, if I got bit by a dog one time and a dog comes running through here, my autonomic response is going to be fear from the dog 
And so my heart is responding autonomically or automatically to things that I've experienced in life. So therefore, if I've gone down the bumpy road with my heart, then that means the tool that I'm using to trust God has been damaged by the bumpy road. So how do you fix it? Then he hit me with the second sentence there. And beyond cure. You're telling me that my heart is deceitful and it will always be this. It will always fool me. And then he says, who can understand it? That means I can't understand my own heart and this is the primary tool through which I trust God. That's a problem. So who's looking at my heart to see if it's okay? Then he hits me with verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. And I determine the mind. In other words, I will look at your heart and know what you're thinking. And then I will respond this way. He says, to reward. Here's why I do it. I do it to reward each person according to their conduct, according to their deed, uh, excuse me, deeds deserved. In other words, what God is saying is, when I give you things, I will not give you more than I can trust you with. So if your heart is in condition to be used to achieve the goal of trust, I will give you more. More opportunities, more things to work with, more other things. So sometimes you're praying and asking for stuff, and because of your trust level, then God says, I can't give you that right now. Like, you wouldn't give the keys to a radical drunk. Keys to the car. You'd be like, look, right now, you're not in condition to receive this blessing, so I will not give it to you because it will cause harm to you. So what God says, I ain't going to trust you with nothing you can't handle. And I know what you can handle by looking at your heart because here, your heart is, it responds in an autonomic way. That means it's going to respond even if you have good intentions. Because some things your heart calls you to do and they have no purpose whatsoever. If you were falling off a mountain, what do most people do? They scream, right? Have anybody ever been rescued falling off a mountain because they screamed like they thought it worked? Like they were, I was screaming and all of a sudden I didn't hit the ground. No. It's an autonomic response. You're just responding. When a mouse comes in the room, everybody jumps on a chair. As if the mouse could radically grab you by your leg and drag you around and beat you half to death in that room. The mouse is no harm. Matter of fact, the mouse trying to get away from you. But, we, but, but it's an autonomic response. And that autonomic response, God says, determines the condition of your heart before the event takes place where you need to trust him. So here's what I want to do. Let me look at my time. I want to take a moment and make sure that we know what hinders our heart from trusting God. So, heart conditions that hinder trust. Here's the first one. The first one is a heart that is shared haphazardly and without caution. If you just go throwing your heart around anywhere, not caring for it, it becomes damaged goods when God is trying to use it. God comes and look at it and say, oh, this heart didn't bend all day. Uh, single folks, raise your hand. Put your hands back down. Just imagine this. Whatever, wherever you invest your heart, if you invest your heart in someone who you haven't biblically and cautiously looked at, then it's a possibility that your heart will be damaged by that relationship, and that's the exact same heart you will use from God. It's like letting a drunk person drive my car and thinking I'm going to be able to go to work tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? Because it's the same car. It's the same heart. So trusting God requires that I be cautious. I be cautious about that. 
And what's happened is if you're not cautious with other things in life, you'll end up being too cautious with God. Because I trusted the other person, they broke my heart, and so now God is saying, trust me with the same heart that was broken last time, and I'm going to make God pay for what they did. So he says, be cautious. The other thing is a heart that hoards. Some people have a hoarding heart. You've seen that show, Buried Alive. You know. I really don't watch those shows. My wife do, but I watch it with her. I use that as an excuse to be able to watch the show. And so in Buried Alive, they have a lot of stuff that they kept because either they didn't know how to get rid of, did not choose to get rid of, but here's the thing that's for sure. Most of what they have has no value to their current life. So they got a lot of junk that they didn't let go. It was the uncle who said a bad thing to me 16 years ago at Thanksgiving, and I ain't talked to him since then. I'm a hoard that. And hoarding starts, it starts kind of slow and invisible. Let me, let me give you an example. Like, and, and there's a difference between men and women. And since, uh, you know, in order to be safe, I'm just going to say black men and women. And if it applies to you, you can apply it because there's enough black people in here that I can run from. And uh, so, so if it applies, it applies. But here's the deal, here's, here's a black family. So guy comes home, you know, I come home, I say, hey, look, uh, my wife will say to me, look, I told you to get those bushes out the back and you didn't cut those bushes down at the back and now look how, how they grow. So I say, I'll get them tomorrow. Now, for me, the whole thing's over. Like if she make me mad, then I'm going to say, well, I thought you said you were going to do this. She said, well, I didn't do it. And I said, well, then when are you going to do it? Well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll be like, okay. So I'm done. I ain't mad. I What's for dinner? I'm ready to go for four. With her, it don't work like that. I would think that once I said I'm going to get them tomorrow, the issue settled. But it's not. <laughs> She'll start explaining to me why it's critical that I didn't get it. These bushes have been growing up and they grow up all the time. People are going to drive behind our house. They're going to see all the bushes over there and they're going to be thinking we don't take care of our place and our house is going to look where they are. Look, okay, okay, look, I'm going to get it tomorrow. It's already settled. The issue is settled. But it's not that. You know, uh, you know, I've been telling you every time I tell you to do something, then you don't get it done and blah, blah, blah. And so we just go on and on and on and on. And then, and then after she said all that can be said, it becomes hoarded. So now it's like a plant. You know, you plant the seed, and then you take care of it. You kind of make sure it stays there and no, nothing get to it that contaminate it. You get them bushes, and you should have got them bushes. And then as the plant growing, you talk to it. Going to leave them plants up there all that time. Now, knowing good well you could have did that. You had time to do it. You were sitting in your chair asleep the other day. I mean, she's talking to the plant, and the plant is growing. saying, yeah, yeah. You know how you, you talk to your plants, they grow. She get a little sunshine, put some water on it, make sure it's taken care of, keep it in a safe place. So that it's growing and it's growing and growing. And then she tell her friends about it. Girl, you ought to see my flower. I told him to get those plants a long time ago and he ain't never get them plants. How your husband do on plants? Yeah, see, he, see, your husband get plants. I don't know why my husband can't do it. He got the tools, he got all his tools and he ain't doing it. I mean, he got all this stuff that's going on but the plant's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, and it's hard and it's taking up more and more space. Then it goes in a historical documentation. 
So the next time another issue comes up, you're going to take the trash out? Yeah, I'll take it out later. Yeah, that's what you said about the plants. Back in such and such and such and such and such. And such. I mean, it, it stays there. Now, here's the deal. As long as that hoarding issue is there, God has less space to use in her life. Now, I ain't talking about all women. I'm just talking about black women right now. Some of you didn't know you were married to black women, huh? <laughs> but the issue is, how much do we hoard? Now, some of us, now I'm not saying only women do this. Brothers do it too, but women give a good example of what it looks like. Most of us don't tell you, we don't take care of our plants the same way. We grow cactus. You don't have to do nothing to it. You plant it, and then anybody who gets close to it gets stuck. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want you to tell me how to get better. I want to do everything. This is just my cactus right here. And if you touch it, you're going to get hurt. It's hoarded. That is space that God can't use in our hearts. The third thing is when our heart is independent and self-reliant. That means that when you have your blind spots that you will not let anybody tell you about. That means your heart can be in bad shape and you don't know. I saw, I was watching, um, I was going to say something on my ear. Um, and it's the microphone. The, uh, I was watching the show uh, where they had these, these talent people come out. So they came out and they sang. So it was a lady who came up there, she was singing. She was singing, she was sitting up there and the music started playing and she was sitting up there and she looked like she was about to throw down. She had that ugly face that I'm about to sing real well on her face. And uh, she had everything set up and I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to hear it. And as soon as she started singing, I'm like, what the? It was horrible. And my first thought is, somebody lied to her. Somebody along the way, if she got all the way up there to where you're on national television, somebody didn't tell you that you weren't ready. Now, or she didn't listen to nobody. She only heard what she sounded like to herself. And she just thought the rest of the world saw what she was imagining. It's like when white people dance sometimes. <laughs> so white people dance, like, I know by watching you what it feel like to you, <laughs> but it just don't look like to the, that to the rest of us. It'd be like, like I, I know, I, I, I get what you feel, because I can see by the folded lip and the, the whole thing, but, but it just don't look like that to the rest of us. Could be a blind spot. If you don't have someone telling you about your blind spots, if you're so independent that you don't want to hear feedback, if your cactus and your plant is hidden from anybody's feedback, then guess what? You have taken up space that God could use to build you into a trusting vessel of his. And then the other thing is self-centered. Your self-centeredness. When you become over-self-centered, it's interesting. Uh, you know, kids are self-centered. That means that, like, if my, if my grandkid child come to me and say, hey, could you buy me one of those? And I was like, no, I'm broke. Then they'll start crying. What, what are you crying for? Because you won't get me this? You don't understand. The world's not about you. When I say I'm broke, that's a whole, that's a bigger issue. It's not like I'm making a decision about this. It's a whole issue that is way bigger than you. And I understand you being affected by the issue. But to think that your world is the only thing that exists is dysfunctional, especially when the kid grows up and they're 40 and they think the same thing. And that's what some of us think about God. Let me give you number two. 
Number two is, how I handle my experiences, influence, and history impacts my ability to trust God. It says, not only trust in the Lord with all your heart, but it said, don't lean to your own understanding. That means when you know stuff, you're in trouble. The more I know, the more my understanding gets in the way of me trusting God. Now, here's the problem. Our development is chronologically progressive. That means that I keep getting snapshots of God over a period of time until I fully know him. And I won't fully know him as long as I'm living. I don't know the whole God. And most of us, when we learn one thing, we treat it like we're an expert. Like I remember when I first learned addition. When I first learned how to add, I was like, oh, this stuff works. Comes out the same all the time. I mean, I was good. I, I was ready to teach math. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm good now. I'm ready. So I'm kindergarten, or first grade, whatever I was in. I was like, no, I'm through. I learned math. I'm done. I learned math. And so I figured what I knew was good enough. I don't have to learn the math. I didn't understand the, es- the issue of progressive insight. And so what ends up happening is I treated what I knew as the only existing fact. Then they came back and said, well, you got, now you got to learn how to subtract. No, 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 I don't need to learn anything else. I'm good with math. But math was only there to teach me about subtraction, to teach me about multiplication, to teach me about division, to teach me about algebra, to teach me about trig. It was only there to get me to this destination. I just stopped somewhere along the way and thought I was good. So I said, well, why don't you treat, teach me, just teach me trigonometry when I was in the second grade? It's because you weren't ready for it. Here's the deal. A lot of times as you're discovering life and you're growing, your experiences influence history, they are part of the progressive insight that God has given you. And so, yes, you will face things different from what you already know. The only thing you need to hold on to is who God is. Everything else is subject to change. And so, therefore, if you're growing and you don't understand and you're under, and when God slaps you with something like algebra, you can't go back and say, I was, good with, I was good with multiplication. Now I don't need all that complicated stuff because it is the progressive insight in God. And if your heart is stuck somewhere, then you will lean to your own understanding and don't understand that your experience, influence, and history are to strengthen and grow your understanding. So he says, don't lean on that. Stronghold in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 5, it says, it's talking about stronghold. Strong, you know what a stronghold is? It is when I have, it says, uh, we demolish every argument. When I have an argument or, and every pretension or claim that's such against the knowledge of God. When I say I know something more than God, some, some, for some reason I seem to forget every once in a while that God has brought, came up with all the good ideas. So I start questioning, God, you did it the wrong way. God said, I knew exactly what I was doing. And so me thinking that I know enough to instruct God puts my heart in a position where I can't be trusted. Here's the last one. It says, trusting God, trusting God requires total surrender. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out to your understand, own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So therefore, in order to trust God with all of my heart, then I, I have to be fully surrendered. He says, it says, uh, in all of your ways, not some of your ways, not a few of your ways, not your ways at church. But in all of your ways, then I had to submit to him. So therefore, I had to get total, total surrender. Total surrender, I really didn't understand until I had, some years ago, a friend of mine, he had uh, five children. 
His wife got ill. And we talked to each other about business and stuff like that and everything else. And then one day he called me, and I could tell by his voice there was a major issue going on with him. And so went and met with him. We had a discussion and everything else. And he said his wife was sick and she was dying. Now, I always thought when I got married that, you know, men die before women. And so my wife, uh, she's going to outlive me. So I just kind of set up with that idea. I never thought of my being without her. We've been getting 30, 30, 34 years, 35 years or so. My thought is, man, I never thought about that. But at that point, and this was early in our marriage, we had one kid, I think. And, uh, and so I went and sat with him, and his wife was coming down, and she was like, I'm going to tell all y'all what to do at the funeral. Like, she looked perfectly healthy. I'm going to tell all y'all what to do at the funeral. So she wrote her obituary, and she did all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm sitting with him while he's going through all of this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't ever want to be you. I don't, don't want to be in that situation. And I sit with the brother before and after the funeral, and I just watched him, and I didn't know what to say to him, and he was crying. And all I could see is that every thread of his existence was dying with the degree of pain that he was facing. And the fear on his face was magnified by the fact that he had five kids that he now had to raise and explain to them why their mama was gone. I was thinking to myself, man, he says, every ounce of me, has been poured into this relationship after God. And I thought to myself, man, I don't never want to be like that. <laughs> I don't know. Am I really ready to pour all of me into my wife, to love her with no, throw all of the, uh, the numbers away, the book, I ain't, there's no plan, B. she's going to work or not, or I'm going to die. Am I willing to put all of my heart, all of my passion, no other options, no other thoughts, everything into her so that I love her so much that if she were gone, I would not know what to do. I would literally have a hard time getting up. Because that's where he was. And I had to wrestle with myself and determine whether I can give all and submit all and be that guy. And I decided, after coming from a selfish drug dealing life in the past, that I'm going to put it all in this one relationship. No plan B. And if something happens, if I'm wrong, I will sink with the ship. That's what God's expecting from us. He said, you can't halfway trust me. You got to put it all in the ship. You cannot trust me with this idea that you're going to have a second option on the table. There is no other option there. If you're not willing to put it all in and trust me 100%, so, so you have to give it all up. You cannot have any risk management assessment to determine what's going to happen if God is wrong. You can't have any uh, value proposition so that you're measuring everything you do to see if it all works for you. There's no safety plan. There is no plan B. Go all the way with it because that is required for trusting God. Now, faith doesn't require all of that. You can believe that he exists, but if you're going to trust God and you're going to live for him, then it's going to have to be all in. No plan B. And I said to myself, who does that? It dawned on me. Jesus did. Jesus says, we're going to go down here and we're going to put it all in. There's no plan B. And somebody said, they ain't going to all accept you as their savior. He says, then I will go down with the ship. 
They're going to turn on you. They're not going to trust you. They're going to turn their backs on you in critical moments. Then he says, I still want to go all the way to the cross. Don't leave any nails out. Crucify me and make sure I'm dead. Because I'm all in. So when it comes to trusting God with your family, with your life, with your job, with your church, in every phase of life, do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Lean not to your own understanding. And are you all in? Do you totally surrender to him? Because that's when he kicks in and make your path clear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the time and the insight from your word. We ask that you would bless us and that your spirit will use what we've shared. In Christ's name, amen.